providing you with health information and guests to elevate your health and life and help make your life better in 30 minutes or less. This is the Frontline Health Podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Frontline Health Podcast by CenturionLabs.com. We're excited you've joined us today and are excited about this topic over what we've learned the last couple of years through the COVID pandemic. I think if we take an honest assessment of these last two years, there's been very little that we've been told in the medical community that's worked in regards to COVID. You know, there are four things in particular I think we can learn from the data if we take that deep dive. The very first thing, and I think the most important thing in regards to you and I, is that comorbidities are a big, big deal. What's a comorbidity? Well, it's a condition that we have other than COVID, such as heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, etc., that can affect our health adversely. adversely. And if you add COVID into the mix, it can affect it even more so. You know, comorbidities were shown to be such a factor that the CDC says that only 5% of the deaths due to COVID were due to COVID alone. That means that 95% of all deaths during COVID had at least one comorbidity. The average number of comorbidities that individuals had who died with COVID were four. That means these were very, very unhealthy individuals. The good news is it also means that there's something we can do about it. The second thing I think we can learn over the last two years is that masks didn't provide the needed protection against COVID that we were really hoping for. You see, studies prior to COVID probably would have been a good thing to look at, but they told us that masks weren't effective in stopping viral infections. It was something that was fairly commonly known within the medical community. You see, there was one randomized study from the BMJ, which is formerly the British Medical Journal, one of the most renowned medical journals in the world in 2015. That study actually took 1,607 hospital workers, split them into two groups of medical, of, of people who wore masks. One of them wore medical-grade masks, and the other wore cloth masks. They wore those masks for four weeks, and then they tested them at the end of that to see whether they had contracted the flu or some other respiratory illness. What they found was really pretty staggering. 97% of those cloth mask wearers contracted a respiratory illness. But in addition, 44% of those who wore the medical grade masks actually contracted a respiratory illness as well. And it's interesting because these are medical workers, those who you would think probably have a better grasp on good hygiene, on being aware that they are working around people who may be infected, so they're trying to be conscious about not touching their eyes, not touching their mouth, and washing their hands. Yet you had 97% of them in hospitals that contracted a respiratory illness who were wearing those same cloth masks that our government was telling us we needed to wear. Then 
In addition, you still had 44% of those who wore medical-grade masks contract one of those respiratory illnesses. The question is, why? The conclusion of this study actually said that it was due to the moisture retention and the reuse of cloth masks as well as poor filtration. So the fact that you weren't able, able to filter your oxygen, you weren't able to get rid of those uh, bacteria and virus that you breathe in, allowed you to become more susceptible to disease. There was another study actually done in 2001 in Saudi Arabia, which was printed in the Journal of Asthma, that showed women who wore a veil had increased respiratory infections and asthma. Studies from Europe actually confirmed that this was also the case with COVID. So it wasn't just the flu or other respiratory illnesses prior to COVID, but it was a study that they did during COVID. As a matter of fact, it was a Danish study. It was randomized and published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. And in March of 2020, they took 4,800 people in Denmark and followed them, and they found that there was no statistically significant difference between those people who wore a mask and those who did not in preventing COVID-19. As a matter of fact, there are studies that show that masks have been uh, have caused people to reduce their oxygen levels, which actually increased pulse rates and increased their respiratory adverse effects. Some of those were when they followed surgeons into surgery and they wore a mask for four hours, they saw a reduced oxygen level and increased respiratory adverse effects. So we know that masks don't really help keep you from getting it. But one thing we do know, and we did find out from the studies, was that it can be fairly beneficial if you're symptomatic and you have COVID, you should probably wear a mask because it keeps droplets and other things from leaving your mouth and infecting other people. But that's if you're symptomatic. It's not to go around wearing if you're perfectly healthy. As a matter of fact, it can be extremely detrimental to your health if you go around wearing a mask when you are perfectly healthy. The FDA actually recommends that if you wear a mask or you're a caregiver for someone who's actively sick, to use the mask only once, throw it away, and then wash your hands immediately. They, time and time again in their literature, say do not reuse the mask. If you're exposed to someone with a virus, in this case COVID, as soon as you're out of their presence, you should discard the mask and wash your hands. You should always limit the amount of time you wear the mask to reduce the deprivation of oxygen and limit the stress levels that can increase from wearing masks. So there are two things that I think we've learned. One, comorbidities are a big deal. Two, masks don't seem to provide the protection we were hoping for. And three, vaccines, they really haven't provided the hope or promised protection from COVID for the community or the individual that our medical community was touting. You can not just take my word for it, but look at what happened in New South Wales. 
in Australia. They actually do a daily COVID update. And if you track that information, you can go to their website, get all this information. It's interesting to follow it. If you look in April of 2020, there were zero vaccines administered and there were 42 deaths associated with COVID. Fast forward to October of 2020, there were still no vaccines administered and there were 55 deaths associated with COVID. Move forward to April of 2021, they then had vaccines introduced. They'd been introduced in February of 2021. They now had 634,000 vaccines that they had administered, and there were 56 deaths. So some would say early on, that seemed like vaccines were being effective. You only had one death between October and April of 2021. But if you fast forward to October of 2021, you had 11 million vaccines administered and now 542 deaths associated with COVID. Take it to April of 2022, you now have 17 million vaccines administered and 2,641 deaths associated with COVID. As a matter of fact, in April of 2022, four out of five deaths were among those who were vaccinated, not the unvaccinated. However, one thing was consistent in all of the records that they showed on a daily basis. They said older age is a significant risk factor for serious illness and death for COVID-19, particularly when combined with significant underlying health conditions, i.e., comorbidities. So again, coming back to comorbidities being a big deal with COVID-19. Let's take another second though and look and see what happened in England. So Australia has given us some facts. England did the same thing, but they actually rate theirs through their national health system on a weekly basis as opposed to a daily basis. What their report showed was that in October of 2021, they had 2,772 total COVID deaths. 2,200 of them were, not, were vaccinated. 480 of them were non-vaccinated. Go forward two months to December of 2021. There were 3,802 total COVID deaths. 2,913 of them were from vaccinated individuals. 889 of them were non-vaccinated. February of 2022, 4,800 total COVID deaths, 4,300 were vaccinated, and 559 of them were not vaccinated. So again, vaccines did not provide and are not providing the needed and necessary protection for individuals or our communities that our government was touting. I think the fourth thing we can learn from the last couple of years in regard to our response with COVID is that our medical communities have failed us tremendously. This is one of the only diseases I can think of where doctors actually turned patients away from their offices and said if you, had, if you have symptoms 
associated with COVID, either wait until your breathing gets worse or go directly to the ER where they typically would turn you away as well unless your breathing got to a lower level around the 80% oxygenated rate. And they gave them nothing to treat their symptoms. Per the CDC, our medical community, the leaders in our medical community, said that there was no reason to treat people or that there was no treatment at all and they didn't even try. We haven't done this at any other time in our history, nor have we ever said, look, if you're susceptible to this, you should stay home. Instead, we said everybody should stay home. We didn't quarantine the highly susceptible to this disease. We quarantined everybody. And I think we have to stop and we have to ask ourselves, why is it that the poorest countries in the world with the worst healthcare systems or healthcare systems who are certainly worse than the United States fared better than we did during this pandemic? I mean, they have less advanced hospitals. They have lower vaccination rates. They have less sophisticated treatment protocols. And still, they fared better than we did throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. If you just take the stats, let's just take two, India and the United States, and let's take their population and the deaths associated with COVID. India has 16%, excuse me, 18% of the world's population. The United States has 4% of the world's population. India claims that 60% of their population is vaccinated, while in the United States, we claim 77% of our population is being vaccinated. Yet, India only had 8% of the deaths associated with COVID. The United States had 16% of the deaths associated with COVID worldwide. That's astounding to me. The United States, what everybody in the world considers to be the best healthcare system in the world, had twice as many deaths as a third world country that has almost five times as many people. Our medical community was a disaster during our COVID response. But I think there are a couple of things that we can do. I don't want to leave us in that bleak picture that I've painted about COVID or our medical community. You know, and I think if we take an honest assessment of it, there is no magic wand or pill that we can take. But the truth is, I think it's a simple answer, but it's also a very hard one. I think the first step is we have to recognize that nobody can take better care of your health than you. The government can't, the medical community can't, even your family can't take better care of your health than you can. And ultimately the choice of how your health uh, results turn out are really up to you. I think it starts with being honest with ourselves. You know, what are the health issues that I have? Am I obese? Do I have diabetes? Do I have high blood pressure? Do I have some 
form of cardiovascular disease? And if I do, how do I reduce those comorbidities and reduce the potential effects of COVID or any other respiratory disease, the flu, and increase my immune health? What can I do other than medication to help me overcome these issues? Ask yourself some simple questions. How often do you exercise? Remember that exercise isn't just about aerobic, but it's also some resistance training. So you've got to do some aerobic and resistance training to help fend off and fight against developing comorbidities. Are you getting enough sleep? It's recommended that we get six to eight hours of sleep per night. Do we have a healthy diet? You know, none of us should be surprised that diet is a key to reducing comorbidities. In study after study, I think it has proven itself to be the case. Basically, everything we were told growing up is true. Our mom was right. We need to eat our fruits and veggies. We need to minimize processed foods in our diet. We need to minimize our sugar intake and soft drinks. And we also need to understand it's hard to get all the nutrients we need to really get optimal health for um, our immune system. So we should possibly look to supplements if we can't get those things through our diet. You know, the first thing I think we need to remember after we've done an honest assessment of where we are and what we're doing is we need to understand how you eat an elephant. You eat it one bite at a time, right? You can't just take on this whole elephant and expect yourself to swallow it whole. So how does that relate to this scenario? I think it starts with exercise and diet. Do the simple things. If you're going someplace and it's a workplace or it's a building, take the stairs instead of an elevator. You get the benefit of exercise plus you get the benefit of knowing that sick people don't take stairs. Sick people typically go up an elevator because they can't make it up the stairs. So you're getting fewer germs and you're getting some exercise. Start with simple things on your diet. Order water instead of soda at lunch. It saves you money, it saves you calories, and it gets you rehydrated so your body can begin to flush out some of those environmental toxins and other toxins that you may have taken on through the day. Order a side salad instead of french fries. It allows you to get the proper nutrients and it reduces the fat intake. Start with just going for a walk two to three times per week for exercise. Then work yourself into doing five push-ups and sit-ups after you walk and gradually increase that over time. Because studies will show you that strength training is a secret key to losing fat over time. And remember to eat as clean and good as possible, but take those supplements to help increase your health where you can. And I think there are several supplements that can certainly help and have shown benefit. You know, you can look at uh, quercetin, you can look at zinc, vitamin D, uh, vitamin C, and copper. Because one thing that I think everybody has heard is that Zinc is very good at battling viral infections in your body, and it's nature's uh, way of helping us battle viral infections. But there is an inverse relationship between zinc and copper, so make sure you're getting the right amount of copper and zinc. Otherwise, over time, you may be 
creating more issues with your immune health if you get those two out of balance. So those are some simple things that you can do and keep in mind as you're going through things. So how much quercetin do you need? It's recommended about 250 to 500 milligrams per day. Vitamin D, it's recommended about 2,000 IUs, which is the equivalent of 50 micrograms per day. If you need vitamin C, you're looking about 500 milligrams on the low end per day to get. And zinc, typically is anywhere from 20 to 50 milligrams of zinc per day and copper needs to be at about a 10 to 1 ratio of the amount of copper that you're getting per day. And really that will set your body up to have optimal results and an optimal immune system to help fend off these diseases that we come across on our daily walk. So I want to wrap it up with saying comorbidities are a big deal. You have the opportunity to fight these comorbidities by changing your diet, by exercising. So go out and take ownership of your health today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Frontline Health Podcast by Centurion, where our desire is to elevate your health and life. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to pass it along to someone else who would benefit from this podcast. We would love to hear any feedback or questions you may have by emailing us at admin at centurionlabs.com. Until next time, remember, you are your best health advocate. So go take ownership of your health today.